The Bible reading is taken from Mark 3, 7 to 35, and this can be found in a church Bible on page 1004. So Mark 3, 7 to 35, page 1004. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across Jordan and across Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Barnages, which means the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus, came, so Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside, They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why don't I pray for us? Father God, thank you that you are a speaking God and that you speak to us today. Lord, please help us to be ready to listen. And so, Lord, would you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, through your mighty word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, in today's passage, we're looking at what it means to be part of the family of the king. Being part of something, to have a, a, a sense of belonging, is seen as a really important thing in society today. And maybe, maybe I wonder if it's been made even more important after the pandemic, where we saw the challenges and the negative effects of, um, of separation, of isolation, of being cut off from other people. Uh, since moving to Basingstoke, my wife and I have um, got involved in the park run here in Basingstoke. Um, I say my wife and I, I've done one so far, my wife's done it uh, most weeks. But it's quite incredible if you've ever seen or been a part of a park run, the community feel that park run can develop. I actually found out some research and studies have been done on it to see the kind of sense of belonging, the sense of togetherness, the community that a park run can develop within a town. Today we're looking at this passage which tells us what it means to belong to the family of King Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it doesn't, what it looks like to see who's in and who's out. And it will be maybe quite surprising and challenging. Who we might expect to be in turns out to be out, and who we might expect to be out is actually in. What does it mean to be part of the family of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, let's have a look at these verses before us. First thing then, the followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus in verses 7 to 19. And as we first look at what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, we see both the positive and the negative. First then, how not to follow Jesus, and then we see how to follow Jesus. First, how not to follow Jesus in verses 7 to 12. We see the crowds have flocked to Jesus from far and wide. We're told we're, we're in Galilee, which is kind of West Israel, and people have come from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, which is in the south of Israel. People have also come from the regions across the Jordan, which is in the east of Israel. People have even come from Tyre and Sidon, which is in the far north of Israel. And yet, if we look closely at the reaction of Jesus, he doesn't seem that engaged. Did you pick up on that? We're told right at the start, he withdraws, verse 7. We're told he, he asked for a small boat because they're crowding around him. Verse 9. Jesus doesn't seem that positive. Why not? What, what clues might there be in the passage? Well, have a look at verse 8. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him. Or verse 10. For he healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. It seems as if people are are only really interested in what Jesus is doing, in the healings, in the casting out of demons. Yet remember what we've seen so far in our time in Mark. This isn't why Jesus has come. Back in chapter 1, we read Jesus withdrew from the people because he needed to come to preach, to share the good news of the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is more than just a healer or a miracle worker. Jesus is the Son of God. He's God's King bringing in God's kingdom. He's bringing a message of repentance and forgiveness. That is who he is. That is what he is about as he comes. You see, there is a difference between flocking to Jesus because of what you can get from him and flocking to Jesus because of who he is. And so the danger here is that people are interested only in what they can get out of Jesus rather than Jesus himself. So can I ask, can you ever be in danger of that? (laughs) Can I ever be in danger of that? Interested only for what I can get out of Jesus? It's a bit like a a friendship or a relationship or a marriage where, where one partner is only interested in what they can get out of the other person, not the person themselves. That's no real relationship. That's not what it's about. And so we see the difference in verses 13 to 19 in how to follow Jesus. We read that Jesus gets away from the seashore and he goes up the mountain. And he appoints the 12 disciples or apostles. There's hints here of of the restoration of the 12 tribes of Israel. Back in the Old Testament, you had the 12 tribes of Israel as the people of God, with God as their leader. Here, as we looked at last week, Jesus is bringing in something new. And so here, Jesus appoints the 12 disciples or apostles with him as their leader. Jesus is making a new start. He's calling the true Israel to come and follow him. And so whilst these were a unique 12 that were given a unique responsibility to follow him and to lead the early church, there are realities here, I think, that are true for all disciples, all followers of Jesus Christ. So let's highlight a few of these. Maybe some that we can easily miss out as we read through these verses. First, To be a follower of Jesus is to be wanted by Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to be wanted by Jesus. Do you see that in verse 13? Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. It's almost like a passing comment by Mark, but it's quite incredible. He calls who he wanted. It doesn't start with us. It starts with him. It's his initiative. He makes the first move. He calls and we follow. Maybe that's all the encouragement you need this morning. If you are sat here as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because he wants you. He comes. He reaches out for us. Followers of Jesus are wanted by Jesus. Second, don't miss the first thing he calls his disciples to do. Do you see it in verse 14? He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. First, Jesus says, followers of Jesus are to be with Jesus. That's the priority to Jesus. Be with me. 
Don't jump to the things that we might be called to do as disciples. No, don't forget these three words that come first. Be with him. Not what you can get from me. Not even primarily about what you are called to do as followers of Jesus. No, first, be with me. Spend time with me. And whatever you do as my disciples, do it with me. Don't make the mistake of being so busy for the Lord that we forget to spend time with the Lord. I wonder what that might look like for you each day. Maybe it's a, it's a call or, or a reminder or, or a challenge to, to start every day by spending time with Jesus. Whatever the busyness of your day might look like, before you look to do anything else, to read something of God's Word as Jesus speaks to us through the Bible. To spend time speaking to Him in prayer. Spending time starting our day, spending time being with Jesus. Maybe it's just a a call or or an encouragement that, that throughout your day, in the busyness of your day, whatever your day might look like, to not forget to be with Jesus, to be mindful to spend time with Jesus, to be prayerful throughout the day, wanting to be with Jesus as you live out your day. Maybe the challenge for you is is here, (laughs) whilst you're at church. Maybe the busyness of of serving in some way, of, of doing whatever you might be doing as part of church, doing it with Jesus, rather than simply for Jesus. Followers of Jesus are to be with Jesus. And Mark then gives us the names of these 12 disciples. I don't know if you've ever done, um, maybe at work, um, a kind of personality testing kind of thing. I remember uh, a few years back doing a, a team roles test to work out what your role might be in the team that we were working in. It seems to be quite a buzz thing, the importance of getting the team right, importance of the makeup of your team, making sure you've got the right people in the right positions. I was told it's about getting the right people in the right seats of the right bus. You don't get much info on these 12 here, just names. But of what we know of these names, I don't think Jesus did any team roles testing for these guys. There's not much special about them. We've got Peter. He's a fisherman. He's he's uneducated. We've got James and John, given the nickname the Sons of Thunder, probably because of their fiery temper. We've got Matthew or Levi, who we met a few weeks ago, a tax collector, a sinner, a reject. We've got Thomas. What do we all know about Thomas? He's a doubter. He's only known for his doubting. It's not a spectacular bunch. It's probably not the 12 that you would pick. And yet, Jesus chooses these 12, and through these 12, the world is changed. I wonder how you see yourself. God wouldn't be interested in me. What have I got to offer him? I I, I can't be very useful to him. Jesus wants you. Maybe, dare I say it, maybe sometimes you feel out of place here at church. I'm just not educated enough. 
I'm, I'm not nice enough. I'm not gifted enough. I can't say the right things. I'm too sinful. I've got too many doubts. Please don't think that. Look at these 12. <laughs> you fit right in. Spend time with Jesus. Be ready to be used by Jesus. I remember a few years ago being challenged by someone who said, Jesus isn't interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. Jesus isn't interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. First, we see the followers of Jesus. And then second, we see the family of Jesus. The family of Jesus, verses 20 to 35. And in this section, we see the lines being drawn. The lines are drawn between those who are following Jesus and those who are rejecting Jesus. And we see that those who we would expect to be Jesus' biggest supporters actually end up rejecting him. And those who we think might be insiders actually end up being outsiders. This section here, it's, it has a kind of sandwich structure to it. I don't think that's the technical name, but it makes me understand what's going on. It's a popular way of writing. Mark uses it at least six times through his book, where he, he takes two stories and he intertwines them together. He starts with one, he moves on to another, and he comes back to the first one. And he does it to show the link between the two stories. So to understand the one often the outside one, the bread, to use the illustration, we need to see what happens in the other, the meat. So let's start with the meat, which is Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders in verses 22 to 30. Do you see, Jesus has made such an impact that a delegation has to come up all the way from Jerusalem. And they challenge Jesus, verse 22. The teachers of law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Do you see what the accusation is they're making? It's not a denial that he's driving out demons. The question isn't if he can. Do you notice that? Similar to last week, the question wasn't could he heal the man on the Sabbath, but would he? Here, it's not denying that he can do it. No, it's asking what power is he able to do it? Because to drive out demons can only be done by a supernatural power. And so it can only be done by God or by Satan. Their conclusion, it must be done by the power of Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, by Satan. Do you notice, just as an aside, do you notice that people in Jesus' day didn't doubt the reality of Satan and evil? I wonder if um, it can, well, it can often seem odd to us in, in kind of modern Western culture. And I wonder if there's a danger that our, us in our culture can downplay the reality of evil and the evil spiritual realm. Where in other parts of the, of the world, this would be very usual. In, in fact, there could be a danger of overplaying the reality of the spiritual realm. But Jesus here responds to the teachers of the law by showing them their flawed logic. He says, it does not make sense, verse 23. How can Satan drive out Satan? You're saying I'm from Satan, but I'm driving out Satan's demons, right? It doesn't make any sense. You're talking about a divided kingdom, 
a divided house. Why would Satan do that? It would only result in him losing. It's like sawing off the branch you're sitting on. It's like suing yourself. It's like a country going to war against itself. It's ridiculous. No, Jesus shows what is happening in verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. The stronger man is coming to bind up the strong man and take his stuff. Here's what Jesus is doing in relation to Satan. Satan is strong. He he does have power. But he's no match for Jesus. Jesus is stronger. And so he's binding up Satan. And he's releasing the people that Satan has captive. God's kingdom is being built. Satan's kingdom is being plundered. Someone stronger has come. And then Jesus goes on the offensive in verses 28 to 30. Have a look down. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. There's a stunning irony here in these verses. These are the religious leaders. Their role is to point people to God. And yet here, they're saying God's son is motivated by evil, not good. By Satan, not by God. By an evil spirit rather than the Holy Spirit. Now, there can be lots of worry amongst Christians today about whether they've committed the unforgivable sin. So let's have a look at these verses carefully because I think there's a few things that help us understand what's going on here. First, note the context. The unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's an unbelief that refuses to call what Jesus does as good and instead calls it evil. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to not acknowledge God for who he is. To think he is someone who he is not. That's what the teachers of the law have done. And Jesus says that in verse 30. So then, if you are here and you trust in Jesus Christ, you would call yourself a Christian. If you're worrying if you have committed that sin... (laughs) Well, by worrying about it, in effect, shows that you haven't committed that sin. If you had, you you wouldn't worry about it. In fact, you would be convinced that Jesus is not who he says he is. Also, don't miss the wonderful, beautiful hope and goodness in verse 28. Jesus says, there is forgiveness available to all who repent and believe in him. And we see that through the pages of Scripture. Remember Paul in the New Testament? Blasphemes against God, goes out of his way to get rid of the church, yet repents, turns back from that way of living, asks for forgiveness and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Or Peter, who as we follow him through Mark, goes on to deny Jesus Christ, and yet is restored, comes back to Jesus, and Jesus wonderfully uses him as one of the leaders of the early church. Forgiveness is available to all. Grace is available to all. As the words in the song, To God Be the Glory, say, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. So there's the meat of the sandwich, the the confrontation with the teachers of the law. And so that helps us see what's going on with the bread, with Jesus' family. Verse 21, we saw they want to take charge of Jesus. They think he's out of his mind. Verse 31 to 32, they come to take him. They miss the point of Jesus. They want to silence him. Jesus' family are rejecting Jesus too at this point. And Jesus' reaction is striking. Do you see it in verse 33 to 35? Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked round at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and mother. Don't miss the shock of what Jesus says here. Especially in the first century ancient Near East where where the family unit would have been someone's whole identity. Yet, don't miss the beauty in what he says here about those who are sat around him. Jesus shows the contrast between his biological family who are outside and his spiritual family who are sat around him. The presumed insiders, the religious leaders have become outsiders. Verses 33 to 35. Don't miss the shock of what Jesus says here, but don't miss the beauty in what he says here to those who are sat around him. Because Jesus shows the contrast between his family who are on the outside and his spiritual family who are sat around him. The presumed insiders, the religious leaders, become the outsiders. And the outsiders, the rejects, the tax collectors, the sinners, become insiders. Jesus is creating a new family. A new family that is closer than a biological family. Jesus is inviting us to be a part of his family. A family where we get to call Jesus our brother. We get to call God our father. Jesus loves us as a part of his own family. You see, Jesus is creating a family that goes beyond any biological or genetic or ethnic ties. A family that is made up of totally different types of people. Young and old male and female, different ethnic backgrounds, social backgrounds, class backgrounds, educational backgrounds. This is the family that Jesus is building. And so 
when we are adopted as children of God, when we come into the family of God, the church family, we gain a whole new family, brothers and sisters. And so it's a wonderful privilege that you can travel anywhere in the world and meet a brother or a sister, wherever you end up. And that is what we want to grow here at St. Mary's, a family. And so, now we know Elizabeth's all right, it's a wonderful picture of family. We come together to make sure she's all right. We pause the service and the chaos that that can seem and the kind of awkwardness of what goes next because we love her as family. It's why we think it's so important that we meet together regularly as family. It's why we think it's so important that we want the children to join us at the end of the service to sing together as family. So can I challenge you to spend more time with your family, to look after them, to care for them? After the service, stick around. Chat to your brothers and sisters. During the week, can you prioritize time with your family, house group, or other times? Maybe this is unfair, but can I challenge you after the service this, this morning to try and chat to someone that you've never chatted to before? Don't just talk to people that you, you know well or, or are like you. Get to know your church family. And as we finish, realize that for some, the new family really does come at the cost of losing their biological family. That will be true for so many people around the world, Christians who, for whom becoming a Christian means being rejected by their own family. But it's not just out there in different countries. I'm sure that in a room this size, in a church family this size, there will be people here who have been rejected by their families as a result of their decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. For some, this is their only family now. And so will we love each other? Will we know that as adopted children of God, we are all brothers and sisters? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that Jesus has come to create a new family. Thank you that as a result of what he has done, we can be known by you and call you Father. We can be chosen by Jesus and call him brother. And we can call one another brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for this church family. May you help us to grow as a family together to love each other, to care for each other, to look out for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.